Sorry guys, I lied. I had announced that I was going to have an episode for you last Monday, July 27th, but I didn't. Instead, I've been working on a new idea to mix things up a little bit. Let me introduce you to my new sub-series titled simply but poignantly, My Race. Starting today, August 3rd, and going forward every first Monday of the month, we will feature a specific race and more importantly, my guest's experience at that race. If you have any extraordinary race experiences you would like to share with us as a guest on this podcast, please email us at quitxstartrunning at gmail.com or leave us a voice message with a brief introduction and an overview of your race story. We're excited to hear from you. Now let's get to today's debut episode of the new My Race series. I'm your host, Antonia DeHeinrich, and my guest today is my dear friend, David. If you remember from my very first episode, David is the one who just cannot half-ass anything. It's all or nothing with him. It's 60 cigarettes a day one day and a full marathon six months later. We've been friends since middle school. We practically grew up and experienced many of our unhealthy years together. I'm just going to call it our pre-athlete era. In the same year that I left for the U.S., David ran his first marathon. Since then, he's averaged three marathons a year. He has improved his pace from a 3.49 to 2.47 finish time. When he realized that trying to break that 2.45 barrier required training that would impact his family and work life, he decided to just increase his distance instead. David began racing ultras, his first being the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, several Red Bull Wings for Life events, as well as the Mozart 100 in Austria. The race he will recount for us today is the Marathon de Sable, a 250k six-day marathon through the Moroccan Sahara. Here's David. David, good morning. How are you? Hi. I'm fine. How are you? Good. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah. Thank you for doing this with me. Your okay. pleasure. So uh, let's start with a quick introduction. What's your name? Where are you from? And what do you do? Uh, well, my name is David Kesti. I'm from Vienna, Austria. Um, I'm a dentist. And yeah, besides that, I'm a passionate runner. Um, yeah. yeah, I have my own, my own practice. We are five dentists with a small clinic in Vienna downtown and yeah very cool so when was your most recent run and how did it go I know you just came back from Italy well I was five days in Italy and I was running uh, three or four days and like when I go running usually it's something between 12 and 18 kilometers it's usually never less than 10 kilometers yeah easy you know <laughs> okay so you know this by now, and as does everyone who has listened to my very first episode, you're my hero. And you're my hero because you were the one who inspired me to start running after quitting smoking once well, about 15 years ago. I thought if you could do it, I certainly can. So let's yeah. go back to your running history. Where uh, were you much of a runner back in school, or was training? No, not really. Like I did, I did some sports in school, um, like like playing tennis and football and, and stuff like that. But I was not a runner. After after school, when I went to university, I, I nearly did any any sports, just 
just playing soccer once a week with, with some friends, but nothing else. And as you mentioned, I, I used to be a heavy smoker, uh, which means I used to smoke about two packets a day, 40 cigarettes a day, and in stressful times even more, maybe up to 50 or 60 cigarettes. And I did this for about eight or 10 years. And um, I always said to myself, when I finish university, I, I want to stop smoking. And sooner or later, I finished university and so I had to stop smoking. And the thing is, um, even this, like, I think it was every Wednesday, we played two hours soccer with some friends. And these were the only two hours where I didn't smoke. And, and the hour after, after playing soccer, the cigarettes didn't taste that good. And so I decided to do some sports, maybe um, it's easier to stop smoking. And so I started running. And so when you quit smoking, the first thing you did is train for a triathlon. Is that correct? No, no. I was okay. just like, um, uh, I went to a, like it was a, a sports center and I tried to do some sport. And there was one guy after two weeks and he suggested um, to go running because they, um, they were a running group and they were running every Tuesday. And so I joined them and the first run was about five or six Ks and I was, um, after that, I was tired, but that was, um, it was good to me. And um, so I decided to go running every week. And so it was one or two times every week between six and 10 kilometers. And um, half a year later, a friend of mine suggested starting a marathon. And so we tried, or we trained for a marathon. And so I did my first marathon in 2002 in Vienna. And you ran that one in just under four hours, right? Yeah, it was three hours, 49 minutes. Yeah. Nice. Were you happy with that time? At I, the was, time? I was really happy. I was really happy. I was, I was, um, I was happy that I was able to finish um, a marathon. So after we crossed the finish line, um, uh, we hugged each other, we went for two beers and yeah. So and on the same day, we decided to do that again. And then we, uh, did in the same year another marathon in, in, in Florence, in Italy. And there I was able to run in three hours, 30 minutes. And yeah, after that, um, I got addicted to it. And um, I think every year I ran at least one or two marathons, only like this year because of, of COVID, there was no marathon this year. But since 2002, every year, at least one or two marathons. Yeah, I, I sort of did some research on that. and. We'll talk about your decision to run the Marathon de Sable, which is what this interview is about. But at this point, I would call you a pretty experienced marathoner. So according to marathonview.com, since your first marathon in Vienna in 2002, you have run over 37 marathons in 11 different countries, including Tokyo and Boston, New York City twice, 13 times in Berlin, London, and of course your hometown Vienna five times each. Not only are these pretty awesome destinations and races, but you worked your way from a 349 marathon to a 247 over the years. So yeah. how did Marathon de Sable enter the picture? Tell us about that race. Where does it take place? What is it exactly? And what inspired you to sign up for that one? Well, the Marathon de Sable is a, is a multi-stage marathon, about six days, which takes place in the Southern Sahara. I don't know, some years ago, um, I saw on TV a documentation about this Marathon de Sable, and I said to myself, well, that's quite stupid, but I got to know a person some years ago um, um, who started there, and he told me um, that 
it's a, an, an unbelievable experience and that this was his, the best uh, decision of his life to start there. So uh, it was two or three years ago, um, I realized that I don't get any faster for a marathon anymore. I tried several times to, to get under two hours, 45 minutes, but with my uh, way of life, with the hours of, of working and um, I have two kids and a family, I, I'm not able to, uh, to spend more time in training. And so I realized that it's, it's really hard to get faster and to, to reach like the, the sub 245. And so I decided um, maybe to do some, some longer distances. And so I did one or two ultra marathons. Um, and after that, I decided it's time uh, to make the Marathon de Sabo. Uh, the Marathon de Sabo is a multi-stage marathon where you are forced to carry all the belongings um, you need for the week um, with you, which means all your food, um, sleeping bag, clothes, toothbrush, everything you need for the week besides water. Water is the only thing every 15 kilometers you get one or two bottles of water. And in the bivouac, which means like in the station after you finish the stage, it's a camp um, and there are about 150 or 200 barber tents, which is a, like a big tent where 10 people will um, always sleep. I did it two years ago and, and um, also for me, it was maybe the best decision of my life. Very cool. So, so you register. What happened? Yeah, I think it was registered in um, September um, 2017. The first thing you have to do is um, you have to pay a big amount of money. Uh, after that, uh, you, uh, you need a, a medical certificate that you are in a um, healthy condition to, to start there. And after that, well, I started to train for the marathon because as you have to run with a backpack because you take all your all this stuff with you. And usually when I go running, I, I don't take any backpack. Um, I started to get used to it. So I started, um, I think it was in December with the backpack. And the first the first run was about two, with two or three um, uh, kilos. And from week to week, the backpack was, was heavier and heavier. So um, at the end, I was running with the about eight or nine uh, kilograms in my backpack, which was also like uh, the weight that uh, the backpack had in the, the marathon as well. Gotcha. So how, so you registered in September, you started training in December. Yeah, I can't what? say I started training in September because I'm, I'm, I always go running. Um, yeah. For sure, I did a marathon in, in, in November or in October. For sure, Berlin and, and maybe also something something later. So I never stopped running. So I'm always running, but like to prepare Directly for the Marathon de Sable was from the beginning of December where um, I really did only long chalk with, with um, the backpack and from week to week um, the weight was, was heavier and heavier. Okay, so, so you trained, the training consisted of running with a backpack and increasing yeah. the weight to the race weight. Yeah, yeah usually, usually um, I got up in the, on the weekend at five o'clock in the morning and tried to run three or four hours. Because like the distances of the marathon is always between, it's like it's, uh, five or six stages. And the first stage is about 35 kilometers. The second is about 40 kilometers. The third one is, I think, 32 or 33. And the fourth one is a long distance, which means about um, uh, 85 kilometers. And after that, you have a marathon. And yeah, so you get used to these long distances. Um, and, and that's why I, for the training, usually Saturday and Sunday morning, I did my, my long jogs um, quite early at five o'clock in the morning. Um, so that I got back at between nine and 10 o'clock. 
um, sometimes had breakfast with my family, which was important to me. Right. Wow. Okay. So now we're talking race day or race week arrives. You arrive in Kwasazat, Morocco on April 5th. It's about right. three days before the race starts. You're about to embark on this 156 mile race through the Sahara over a six day period. So who are you with and what do you bring? Where do you sleep? Take care of your bodily necessities. Tell us the whole thing, the whole story. I'd so, love to hear about everything. Um, I was alone. Um, the only thing is like, um, before the race, I, I tried to find something out on the internet on Facebook about people who did the Marathon de Salvo. So, uh, because I had no experience and so that I, I could find something out from, from the experience. And luckily um, there, is a, there was a group in, on Facebook called Preparing for Marathon de Sabo. And um, there was also um, one guy from Austria in this group and um, he's from Tyrol. I phoned him and so we met each other. And um, luckily uh, he was a guy who already did the Marathon de Sabo two times. And so he was able to give me good advices. And also in this group, I realized that there are a lot of people um, starting at the Marathon de Sabo uh, with no experience in long um, stage and multi-stage uh, marathons. So, it was a little bit confident for me that I want that I'm able to finish it. The weeks or the, the month before the Marathon de Sable, you spend a lot of time um, finding out on the internet which sleeping bag is the best for you because you need to have a very light one, but also like warm one because in the night you get up to two or three degrees Celsius, which is really cold. And you find out which sleeping map is the best for you and also um, running jacket you find out which is the lightest one um, and, and where you where you save uh, weight this is really important because um, the backpack is really heavy like with the water it's about 10 or 11 kilogram and if you run with this for 42 kilometers it's getting heavy so i spend a lot of time um, searching the internet for the for the right stuff to buy for the marathon the summer yeah, I can only imagine. I just did a hike to Desolation Wilderness and I definitely had way too much weight and I was walking and it wasn't even nearly the distance that you were running. So I can't mm -hmm. even imagine. Well, the, the lucky thing is like the backpack, every day it gets um, uh, lighter because you, you need to eat something. And so um, most of the stuff you have in a backpack is the food. And so every day you lose weight. Right, right. I fly we are, uh, from Vienna via Frankfurt to, uh, to Casablanca on the 5th of April in the morning. And there I had to wait at the airport. And from Casablanca, we flew to Wazazat. And there at the airport, I met a lot of other runners because like you, you see them from 100 meters who is, who is starting at the Marathon de Salvo. And we arrived in Wazazat on the 5th of April about 10 o'clock in the evening. I just went to the hotel, had a, had a short night there. And then the next day in the morning, there was a meeting point where all these about nearly 1000 starters met each other. And with, a, with several buses, we were taking to our first camp where we spent two nights. The first day in the camp was the whole day, like just waiting. And, and um, there are a lot of medical doctors um, who, uh, see if everything is okay and if you have enough food and if you have like there there are some stuff you have to take with you and they control everything so the the first day at the camp is only um waiting and, and controlling um if everything is right did they have people not start yeah because they yeah. didn't have this right stuff yeah, yeah. not really not, only one or two sometimes you have the possibility like to uh, uh to buy the stuff there for for 
big amount of money but there is for example food stuff at least you have to have for one day 2000 calories and if you don't have enough for it they don't allow you to start so you have to buy something there from their food gotcha so you were in this um first day checking in and they were checking your backpack checking your food and i'm sure they did some medical evaluations right yeah, yeah. and so they say david you're good to go yeah so that was the first day and then you spend another night in the tent yeah. at the first um yeah, yeah exactly. we spent another night um and on the next day in the morning on the 8th of april um there was the first the first stage okay how was that tell me how that how did that feel in the start line this is your first day amazing, amazing. Yeah. like um you can't wait to run it's like there are a lot of people and you, you see like most of them are nervous um, I was lucky because Florian, this guy from Tyrol, he was really cool and was standing next to him. And as all the people are standing on the start line and then you hear um, they're playing Highway to Hell from ACDC and then you start. It's a, you know, <laughs> Appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the first stage was a 30 kilometer run. And there you get to know, um, well, the first time you really run in, 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 in sand because um, I tried to to run in, in Vienna in snow because I read on the internet that it's similar to run in deep snow than in, in, in the sand, but it's a little bit different. So the first day um, I started not too fast. We had two checkpoints. The first was at kilometer 13 and the second one was at um, 23 and the finish was after 31 kilometers. First day was good for me. It took me three hours and I think 15 minutes and when I, when I, when I reached the, the, the finish line and the camp, um, I, was, was, I was quite happy and I thought, okay, this was just the first stage, but I'm in a good condition because there were nearly 1,000 starters. After the first day, I was 86 and um, there were for sure 20 or 30 professional um, athletes. So I was, yeah. Wow. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. So the first yeah. day felt good. You didn't have any um, issues with your shoes or feet no. or anything? I think like with, with the shoes, there is one, one important thing is like um, your feet um, easily get swollen. And to avoid blisters, I used um, two pair of sockets. The first was a, was a, a base layer. They're called Injinji sockets, um, where all the, the toes are divided, like, like a hand shoe. And above this, um, I took a, a, a normal running um, socket and then running shoes, um, one size bigger than my normal running shoes. And above the running shoes, I use gaiters, which are really, really important. Without gaiters in the, in the sand, you get, I don't know how many blisters. Yeah, sand in the shoe. Did you yeah. wear regular running shoes or did trail running shoes? Or what I did was trail running shoes. It was a Brooks Cascadia. Gotcha. But in the weeks before the Martin Sauer, I tried a lot of different trailing shoes until I found out that for me, the Brooks Cascadia was the right one. Yeah, so you see, that's the other thing. You need to figure out what shoes work for you. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I'm running right now for nearly 20 years, and I'm, I'm running about between 60 and 80 kilometers a week um, regularly. I uh, usually, between 8 and 12 pair of running shoes, and every day I use another one. Maybe it's, it's, it's crazy, but I, I never had any problems with ankles or, or muscles, or, and I think it's because I change the shoes every day. Yeah. Did you bring more than one pair of shoes? No, 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 no. no. No, just one pair of shoes because you, you have to carry everything with you too. Yeah. Why you try to, to keep your weight as, as 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 low as possible. Yeah. Okay, so you get through 
What time did you finish your first stage? Um, well, start was about, I think, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. So it was noon or yeah, one o'clock in the afternoon. So you could spend the rest of the day resting, eating. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the most important thing is like um, to, to rest the rest of, of the day because it's really hot outside. And as soon as you get in the camp, you, you go to your barber tent and you stay the whole afternoon in the tent because it's the only place where you have shadow. Right. It's, it's, it's really hot all the time. So you, you stay in the shadow, um, you try to recover, you eat something, you, you drink something and you, you're lying and talking to each other. It, it was also a very good experience because there's no, no place to go to. So we stayed in the tent and Florian, um, I got to know him at the Marathon de Saba and I think he's, he became one of my nearly best friends because we spent so much time together because from one o'clock till we fall asleep at seven or eight o'clock in, in the evening, um, we were talking to each other. And it's, it's different than to talk to each other if you, for example, if you meet a friend um, uh, at a coffee house or for a beer, everyone has this, his mobile phone with him. And there you, we, we didn't have any mobile phones because you don't have any internet there. So we were talking to each other and we were listening to each other. And this is really, it was a good experience because normal times um, when you meet somebody, you check your emails, uh, you get a short message or a WhatsApp, but you don't listen all the time. And this was really different at the camps in the Marathon de Salvo that you had to listen because there was nothing else to do. You don't have a book with you or something else. Yeah, so no, I love that actually. I was going to ask you about that because I knew that you didn't have a way to communicate and that there was only, you'll tell me what the communication method was because I think you had to sign up in advance to send a message to your friends. Is that correct? Um, yeah, there was a, an internet tent in the afternoon for three hours. Uh, you could send um, an email, but just to one person, yeah, because in, in the camp, every day they rebuild the, the internet. So all the people, they wanted to write an email. So I just wrote an email to my, to my wife that I'm, um, that I'm fine. And in the afternoon when you were, uh, in, the, in the evening, I'm at eight o'clock when, uh, when we're lying in our tents, everyone, or not everyone, but um, a lot of people got messages from uh, friends, relatives, they were printed out on, on papers. And you got like um, field post. Uh, That's that so cool. I, I mean, that, I love that whole experience because you are literally in the desert. You don't have, you know, real access to information like you do, as you said, when you're home. And so you are a forced to interact with your people, the people around you, and fellow racers, and you only have one opportunity to potentially send or receive a message and then you get this message on paper. So uh, yeah. it's just kind of a flashback to, you know, the way things used to be. Um, but anyway, so it, they didn't have any entertainment or anything there either, right? It, this was it. It was, there's rest, there was water and one internet tent. That's it. Yeah. And, and the stuff and like like the food i had travel food and some some bars uh but this was all the stuff you, you, had, you had with you so it's important to have like or for me it was important i was lucky that all the people in my tent they were uh friendly ones and and we had a good atmosphere there did you spend the did you pick the tent with the same people every stage yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we're still on day one so what was the hardest day for you was it the third day with the long uh, well, the, the longest was the fourth day. Um, the first day um, I was was okay. The second day was even better for me. 
And on the third day, um, I tried to run a little bit faster to get um, very, very fast to the, to the camp again, to recover before the long stage on the fourth day. But the third day, I don't know why, I had really not big problems, but I really had to suffer. We had um, in the, in the night between the, the, the second and the third stage, um, there was a real big desert storm and all the tents, fall, all but nearly all the tents fell down and it was impossible to sleep there. And the storm lasted for about two hours um, where everything was lying on us and you just grab your backpack so that nothing flies away. And so it was not the perfect night and the third stage was a little bit hilly and we had some, not really mountains, but small mountains or rocks to climb. And this was, for me, it was really hard. But the next day was the fourth stage, um, which is the long distance. And usually, as long the longer the distance is, um, the better I am. So the fourth distance was about 86 kilometers. Um, and yeah, it's, it was a long day, but for me, it was good. That's good. Well, I'm sorry to hear about day three. And no, it was okay. No. It was okay. It's like, it's, it's like if you have a multi-stage um, race, it will never happen that all stages are, are able to compete in, in a good condition. Sure. And of yeah. course, you're in the desert. So yeah, a sandstorm can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Of so, so day three was, your, was not so good. Day four yeah, was the longest day, day, day two was good for me. It was 39 kilometers, um, which was a really good day for me. I, had, I was able to finish the 39 kilometers in four hours, 50 minutes. And on this stage, I was 71st. And the third stage was only, only 31 kilometers with two checkpoints at um, kilometer 10 and 19. And um, there were some, as I told you, some small mountains. And I really had to fight hard. And on this stage, I was only 150s, and it took me four hours and 17 minutes. And I remember that the rest of the of the day in the tent, I was just lying and yeah, trying to recover. Yeah. So after the after you finished the long stage, did you feel a relief that you that you were done with it, or were you? Yeah, yeah. Like because on the morning after the the the, the fourth stage was on the on the we started at eight eight thirty in the morning on the 9th of April, and it was like eighty six kilometers. And in the morning, I was a little bit of nervous because I before this I already did the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, which is about ninety kilometers, and I also did one uh, one time the Motor one hundred in Salzburg, which is about one hundred and seven kilometers. But running. 86 kilometers um, in the desert after you've been running um, uh, three days before. Yeah. I was kind of nervous. Um, but yeah, it was a long day and, and, and um, the longer the day, um, the better I got. So like in the beginning, I was the first 20 or 30 kilometers, I was running a little bit slower. And in the, in the end, I was, I was able to reach the, the camp at, after 12 hours and 48 minutes. Like the last two or three hours, you're forced to run with um, headlighters because it's dark and it's getting cold. And after I, I reached the, the finish line in the camp, um, I went to the internet tent and made an, an internet call 
on, on that day to my wife, um, told her that I'm okay, went directly to our tent, tried to eat something, and fall asleep after, I don't know, two minutes. And yeah. <laughs> it was very good for me because like, um, the majority of the people who are running there, they're running through the night or, or they make a, some breaks of one or two hours in one of the checkpoints. And um, they, are, they are able to, uh, well, the cutoff time on, on the long stage is, I think, 36 or 38 hours. So they have the time of 38 hours to reach the finish line. And um, it was good for me it's like because uh, I was able to, to reach the, the finish line after nearly 30 hours. Um, I had a night to sleep and, and majority were running through the night or even the next day in the morning or in the afternoon and, and, and even on, on the 10th of April in the afternoon up to six o'clock in the evening, people were walking or crumbling around, uh, across the finish line at the camp. Okay, so people were finishing the long stage the next day, meaning the, that day exactly. was a rest day? Exactly. Did they have a rest exactly. day? Exactly. The majority finished the long stage on the next day. So it took 24, 26, 28 hours or even more. I was lucky because I had a, a whole day to recover. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the next day was a was a full recovery day. It was just a full recovery day for the fast ones. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my, my biggest respect for all the people um, who are reaching the, the finish line after eight or ten hours after running eighty six kilometers, they have to run a marathon. And for me, it was good because I had a whole day to recover. Yeah. That sounds like a nightmare for me, but I would not do what you do in this case. I will follow you to a certain point, but not all the way. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so when you ran the long stage, you had you basically ran through the whole day with all the different temperatures yeah. from morning till noon to the hot afternoon sun, night cold, correct? Yeah, and therefore it's, it's necessary to, to have all, all the stuff with you. You have yeah. um, the running shirt, running short, a windbreaker, um, a light um, down jacket, because it's really getting cold. I didn't know that during the night it's really it's get up to nearly nearly zero degrees or some degrees below zero. And what was the hottest temperature during the day? This year it was not as hot as the year after, but we only reached 35 degrees Celsius. Yeah, that's hot. So you went from 35 degrees, which to, is approximately 85 Fahrenheit, to freezing. Nearly freezing. Maybe maybe not zero, but like three or four degrees. Yeah, Sorry. close enough. Cool. Okay, so you had a day to rest, and you had a marathon the day before, and then the last day was how many kilometers? A whole marathon, forty-two kilometers. That was the last day. It was the last day, yeah. And after that, you had um, also like a, like a solidarity um, stage, which is about only seven kilometers, like it's a charity. Okay. Stage. Yeah. What does that mean? Like, was that running with the finisher? No, it's like um, you get the finisher medal um, after the fifth stage, after the marathon stage. After that, um, Patrick Bauer, the organizer of the Marathon de Salvo, standing at the finish line, is hugging everyone and is giving um, him his, his medal. 
And at, the, at that day in the evening, um, you get a beer. <laughs> it was the, uh, the best beer I've, I've ever drunk because... <laughs> and we know you love your beer, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like um, after five, six days, um, um, only of uh, this water. And to be honest, uh, the American water um, is not the best water. If you're, if you're used to um, water from Austria, uh, an ice cold beer after you run 240 kilometers is really a good present. I can only imagine. The last stage was just a charity stage where um, they didn't count your time. You only had to finish it, but it was only seven, seven and a half kilometers. Yeah, which is nothing after what you just finished. Yeah. 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 So, okay, what was the better feeling? The feeling of running through the finish line after the marathon stage or the finish line after you finished a charity stage and you no. were done? No, it's like after the marathon stage. When you, when you know that, you, that you've done it, that you finished the marathon, the solo. After every stage, in the, when, I, when, I entered, uh, when I finished the stage in, in the morning uh, with my, my, my mobile phone, I only made um, like small videos to, re, to remember my feelings um, and to show my wife and my friends how the atmosphere at the, at the, at the camp was. And I remember when I uh, crossed the finish line after the marathon stage, after the fifth stage, um, I had to cry. I just crossed the finish line. Marathon de Sable 2018, 235 kilometers through the desert. I made it. I'll see you at home. I remember some of his videos, but I don't remember that one. Um, I made a video. I don't know if I show it to you, to my wife. But, um, I did it. I, I finished the Marathon de Sable and then I said, I'm coming home and like this coming home was only in tears. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's making me a little teary right now thinking about that because what interesting to me is like um, after the day before the no, the morning before the, the, the charity stage in this small video, I said to myself, um, I'm happy that I made the American Savile and I'm, and I'm proud that I did it, but I will never do it again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I will say two days later, you said something different, or we are two months later, but we'll talk about that. Right now, um, 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 as soon as the, as the pandemic situation allows me to do it, I will do it again. I knew it. Yeah. I know you, David. That's just how you are. It's like, yeah. you, there, is no, there is no in between. It's a zero or a hundred. <laughs> yeah. And, but the thing is, like, emotionally, um, I, I still get so many so many good stuff from the Marathon de Salvo. Whenever I think of the Marathon de Salvo, I'm in a good shape and I'm in a good mood, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. I mean, you did well, like you felt good. You didn't get injured. Were there any people who didn't finish? Yeah, but only, uh, I think like from these 980 starters, not more than 30. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe 30 quid. But I read like the Marathon de Salvo the year after, there were more people had to quit because it was really, really hot. It was one of the hottest races ever, um, the Marathon de Salvo in 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so fun. Well, David, I continue to be inspired by you. Not that I would embark on the Marathon de Sable, but I would certainly try to find a way to meet you there next time after you finish. After that, I met some friends in Marrakesh to party. Yeah, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Of course you did, because you know you work hard, you party hard, right? Yeah. 
that's how you, that's how you live life. So to my closing questions, do you think you would run MDS again? You said, yes, you would. As soon yeah, as, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And but if the thing you, is like most of the people who, did, who do it once, it's like most, they come back. Right. Yeah, I would imagine just because what you described, like the experience of the accomplishment and the emotional attachment you have to it, I would imagine that you would want to experience that again. Um, I fear that if I do it again, um, the emotional will never be the same again. But if it's um, only 50% of the feelings I had the first time, it's enough. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be the same. It's going to be different. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be a similarly exhilarating or exciting experience, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you did something differently on the next disablet, what would it be? Um, I had travel food um, for uh, dinner, if you call it dinner. It was about 1,750 grams, and I would take a bigger portion, which means... Uh, 1000 grams so um, the, the most important thing is like to get enough recovery and enough food and yeah. the problem is um, in, a, in, a, in a marathon disabled you really have to, to focus that the food you get that you do well with it because you can't eat the, the whole week just power bars I had one or two power bars for each stage and, and this is also something which is not not that easy because you, you get dried out and, and if you're really dried out, um, it's really hard to eat a power bar um, mm -hmm. because you don't, your, your mouth is totally dry and you keep biting and biting and biting and you're not able to swallow. Yeah, because you don't have any saliva to... No. Crazy. And then and then you ate that stuff for six days straight. Well, I had, I had like travel of food, um, which is you just put water in it. Um, and it tastes a little bit like, I don't know, spaghetti bolognese or something else. Um, it's not the best food, but it's okay. And I had macadamia nuts. So yeah, you had the, like basic protein and... Yeah. So in the, the morning, you usually had some granola or porridge. And during the race for, for, for eating, I had, it was put it into water. It was called track and eat, um, peronin, which is some proteins only one one or two power bars and directly after i reached the camp i took always a windforce power protein and in the evening like exp um, expeditional food was something like chicken or yeah, beef yeah. or something like this yeah okay so that i mean that alone would after four days would probably make me want to quit so what was your first meal when you got back to where did you go casablanca the first, the first day was in, in, in Wazasat uh, because you spent two, two more nights in, in Wazasat with all the, all the other runs of the Marathon Sable. There we only had beers, to be honest. It's like, this is, this is funny because it's a small town, Wazasat, and for two days there are um, 1,000 thirsty runners, and in every coffee house or in every bar, you see runners drinking beer. <laughs> well, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but I can imagine that whatever that first meal was, was very delicious. Yeah, but the problem is like, um, you, even after this, just one week, you have you know, your stomach to get used to it again. Um, That's true. But beer helped you through. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you met anybody who, or if anybody asked you, 
What would your biggest piece of advice be that you would share for somebody who wants to run this race? The biggest advice is if you're a normal runner, it's enough for like three or four months before the race, start running and just make long jogs, not, not, not any fast ones, yeah? Long jogs and, and from day to day, um, get used to the weight of the, of the backpack. That's the most important thing, yeah? And right. like run from three or four hours. It's not necessary to, to run a marathon, yeah? Um, but just to get used to it because during the race with a, with a, with a race number, it gets easier. Yeah, like running alone in the dark for hours with a heavy backpack is sometimes even for your mind is even harder than running with other runners next to you. So yeah, for sure. Um, I think this is if you start early enough with this, that's that's enough. And um, there are always like you know, on Facebook this this group preparing for the marathon the Sabres. There's also there you get good advice. Early enough, get used to the stuff you need. So to the shoes, to the backpack, the shirt you have, so that you don't get any blisters or... And the food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Did you listen to music or anything when you no. were running? No. No, no. Um, I had a power, power charger. I had one with me um, because usually um, I run with music um, and I thought that I'm getting bored running, but the desert is, a, is a, such a magnificent... Um, place and it's it's so astonishing there that you don't need the music only at the long stage in the last two or three hours i was running with music in the night that was the only thing and i had the power bank with me because um, i also had to uh, recharge my uh, my watch because after the long stage it was yeah it was dead wow after recounting this race and and the fact that you want to do it again is hugely inspiring because it, it tells me that it's an incredible experience. And, you know, I'd like to be a fly on the wall when, when this race happens. I don't think I would have the mental capacity to do it, to be perfectly honest. Um, physically, I'd probably be fine, but um, mentally, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but so I admire you because you have a very strong mind, David. I've always known that. <laughs> But, We've but, known but each other too. since middle school. <laughs> yeah. So I admire that about you, and I, I commend you for finishing this one. And I'm, I'm quite sure that you would finish it. Yeah, I might. I mean, and it's all mental, right? If you put your mind, it's all mental. It, it's all yeah. mental. There, 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 there are some some people running there at the age of 60, 65, or seventy, um, and for for them it's not a it's not a race. It's it's they don't run most of the time. They keep walking. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure if you want to do it, you would finish it for sure. Yeah, I would have to go with you though. Of course. <laughs> you would not want to wait for me, but <laughs> you'll be in the finish line. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, is there, a, so you, besides the Marathon des Sables, which is something that you want to do again, is there another crazy race that you think about wanting to do? Well, this year um, I was qualified for the ultra marathon um, Mont Blanc, which is a 170-kilometer um, race around the Mont Blanc, which is the, the highest mountain in, in West Europe. And it's with, I think, more than 10,000 high meters, and you usually run between 2,000 and 3,000 meters. But um, unfortunately, like this year, there's no race. So I'm not quite sure if it will take place next year. Um, uh, but if the pan pandemic situation will allow it, this is a race I, I, I really want to do it. 
And right now there's a new series, it's called Running the Planet, which is five uh, races similar to the Marathon of Salo um, in five different deserts. One is in, in, in Chile and Atacama, Wüste, uh, Atacama Desert. One is in uh, Namibia, yeah, the, the Gobi Desert. I think it would be nice to run in Chile, maybe over yeah. Namibia. There's also one race in, in, in New Zealand. Maybe that's something for you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, yeah. you know me, I'll go, I'll go anywhere. Destination running for me is the best. Yeah. You know, because you can, you can race and then go on vacation. <laughs> and, and for sure, there's one race I have to do. It's the Big Sur. Yes, you do. <laughs> I promise. I cannot, I cannot promise you that I will do that one with you again because that was so hard for me the first time. Yeah, but but I will do it. You have sure. to do it. It's absolutely beautiful. All right, David, I'm going to let you go because I know the time difference. It's probably what, seven o'clock now? Eight o'clock? Seven o'clock, yeah. Seven o'clock. Okay, so it's not that late. But I also know that you need to rest. And I appreciate your time, time you took to speak with me for my podcast and um, I love your podcast thank you very much well this is the first episode of a new series uh, within my podcast and it's it's the my race series so you're going to be the debut episode for that sub series a great honor well you deserve it okay thanks a lot all right david keep in touch let me know what happens with the marathon des sables and your uh, mont blanc but uh, Hopefully, I'll see you in Austria for Christmas. I'm here. I'm here. All right, David. Perfect, awesome. yeah. okay. okay. You take care. You too. It's nice <laughs> talking to you. In case you still had any doubts about how much of a badass David is, he ended up finishing the 2018 Marathon des Sables 72nd overall. 72nd out of almost 1,000 starters. I bet he's gunning for an even better placement in his next attempt. Not only is David a pretty remarkable athlete and dad and husband, but he's also decent at fixing your pearly whites. I am proud and grateful to call him one of my closest friends. Should Austrian immigrations let me into the country, insert COVID-related politically sarcastic remark, I do hope that I get to see him during the holidays in Vienna. If you're looking for me in other corners of the World Wide Web, the best way to find me is on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Antonia de Heinrich, A-N-T-O-N-I-A-D-E-H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H, and on the I Quit X and Started Running Facebook page. To subscribe to this podcast, simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whichever your favorite podcast listening platform may be. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to welcoming you to my next episode within regular programming of I Quit Blank and Started Running on Monday, August 10th. Until then, my friends, quit whatever you're doing and start running.